Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Well, good morning. My name is Heath. If you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and uh, you're here, and that's great. Uh, You never know, um, with a rainy, cold day, how many people are like, Um, but this right here is the faithful people that are just ready to hear the word of God, right? Right? Um, and I think there's a, a special prayer gathering tonight at 6.30 for the, anybody that doesn't have anything going on. Just kidding. I know it's the Super Bowl. I, I, I thought about like just putting one out there to see you know, like how many people we could get to choose Jesus over football, but um, I don't want to... You know, I don't want you to have to make that decision. So. <laughs> That's right. Spoken from a true elder right there. Um, well, today we're continuing and will be for a while uh, in our Living Jesus is Greater, which is our um, non-series series. I uh, said it last week, but if you're new here or missed that, uh, what I do when we're not in a series is uh, I preach out of the one-year Bible. So we encourage people to have a Bible reading plan. One of the ones that we do here is the one-year Bible, uh, which you can find in the Bible app and subscribe there. Or uh, there are paper copies. So if, if, if last week you were here and I said I'm going to continue to fill that table with Bibles until people stop picking them up, uh, there's 10 new ones out there. So if you missed it last week and you're like, man, I'd really love yeah, paper copy. I have one. I like to sit down at my specific chair in my living room. It sits on my coffee table all the time. Um, they're you. They're yours. It's free. Just grab one on the way out. Uh, and if it's empty this week, I'll buy more and continue to fill the table until um, they sit there. So um, grab one. But the idea is is that uh, it when we read the Bible. There should be things in the Bible that are kind of speaking to us. That's the purpose. The purpose is not for you to read something so that you can say you read it so you can go, I'm a good Christian. The purpose of reading the Bible is so that you would see something that you want God to change in you, something you want to see change in your community, uh, and take that and go with it. And part of the reason why I want to preach out of something that you've read this week is the idea that if you look deeper into something, you'll, you'll find out there's a lot going on in the text. Um, so today, um, we're going to look at Jesus out of Matthew 25. Um, and Jesus was a master communicator. He was. Uh, he spoke sometimes very plainly, uh, and sometimes he spoke in parables. Uh, Jesus' parables um, were stories that were cast alongside of truth in order to illustrate that truth. Um, His parables were teaching aids and can be considered extended uh, analogies and inspired comparisons. In the middle of two chapters where Jesus talks and teaches about his second coming, he uses several parables to illustrate this point. And today we're going to walk through one of those. With the key question today is, will you be ready when he comes? I know that sounds, you know, for for those that have been around church for a while, it's like, yeah, we're going to be ready. Jesus is coming. Thief in the night. Um, But the truth is, he is going to return. And the parable that we're going to go through today that will show you that there is a cost for waiting for his return. (laughs) 
to like, oh, goodness, because when he returns, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess some willingly and some unwillingly. And our goal at Reach Community Church is to help as many people be willing celebrants of his return. Because it will be joyous for those who find their hope in him or set their joy in him because he is going to make right everything that is wrong in our world. And if you pay attention to the news, if you scroll social media, there's a lot wrong with our world. And let's just confess, as the church, some of it's our fault. (laughs) Um, Some of it we talked about several weeks ago about how we love other people. Um, And this is not a knock on, you know, truth is truth because truth is truth. But there is a, a, a call for us to love others at the capacity and at the rate that Jesus loved people. So let's pray and then jump into the word. Dearly Father... First and foremost, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do in us what we are unable to do. Lord, we want to be wise and not foolish. We want to be prepared for your return. We want for you to be joyous about the things that your children have let themselves to, that if they've given themselves to. And so this morning, there is truth to be discovered. Um, Lord, ultimately, Lord, I just ask that we're... We are foolish. You would give us a heart of repentance. Lord, you didn't come here to condemn. You came here to change. You came here for us to find joy in you. And so, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would do what I'm unable to do by explaining, by reading your word, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to begin to change in us. That we would be vessels that would carry you. And, Lord, that our light would shine bright in this world of darkness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So all throughout what's happening before this, in in chapter 24 leading up to this, you have lots of conversations about his return and when he's going to come. And right before 25 that we're going to be in, you have this picture of these servants that were unready, unready. Prepared, where the master left and they just did whatever they wanted. They were abusive to people. They they drank. They did whatever they wanted because they thought this was their life. And and if we're looking at it correctly, uh, we are not the master of our house. If you're a child of God, you you are not. Now God's put you in authority over that house, but that house is not yours. <laughs> And that's the image that we see in 24 where the master comes back and he deals with the wicked servant that wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And this leads into 25, which will be in a second. But listen to this. Now, that section right before it says no one knows the day or hour. And that's the truth. Anytime you see a, um, a street preacher or some other pastor, if I ever give a day and a time that God's going to return, just leave. Um, because like something has happened to me, um, and run because no one knows, I guess at some point someone may get it right, but probably not because if he says no one knows, then even at their guess, he'll come, you know, 20 minutes after or whatever. Um, but we don't know. And in this parable, you will see clearly that he told us it's going to be a while. 
And some of you are like, it's been a long while. Uh, and, and here's why I'm grateful for the delay. It comes out of Second uh, Peter um, chapter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise, as some count slowless, slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Because right now, if we're just to say in this moment, if you know someone that is not submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and they don't look to him as their Savior, if he were to come right now, their ability to change their mind would be ended, at least from the parable that we see here. And so I'm grateful for those that I love that haven't said yes to Jesus, that he has not returned. Because when he returns, for those who have set themselves to him, for those who have chose to believe in him, it will be a joyous day. And for those who haven't, it won't be. And so, to be completely honest, I'm all right with the delay. As much as I would love him to return and settle things and, and there be... Joy and real peace and sin would leave our world and he would set things correct. There's people that I love that I want to see celebrating with me. So we pick up this parable in Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So let me, D.A. Carson describes the setting this way. It says, normally the bridegroom would come um, and with his close friends, they would leave their house and they would go to the bride's house where they would um, have various ceremonies followed by a procession through the streets after nightfall fall to his house. The ten virgins may have been bridesmaids who have been uh, um, assisting the bride. And they expected to meet the groom as he comes to the bride's house. Everyone in the procession was expected to carry his or her own torch. Those without a torch would be assumed to be party crashers. The festivals, which might last several days, were formally get underway once at the groom's house. And so we, we think like, man, this is weird because you at your wedding day, you probably had a date and a time. Like, we got married, and I think it was at 2 o'clock on February the 28th. Was it 2 o'clock? <laughs> she didn't know either, so I'm all right. Um, it was the 28th of February. Um, and um, But it was a day, like, uh, the people showed up. They were like, the wedding's going to happen at this time. And I have been, I actually facilitated one wedding, um, and we were like an hour and a half late. Uh, and bride had some stuff that she was just getting ready. It wasn't like she was second guessing, but I was just like, well, you know, no one's going to start until you get there. So like, whatever. Um, but in this culture, it was different. The, the, the bridegroom would actually go away to prepare the place that he was going to take his bride. And sometimes that took a given a time, you know, it may take a while to make that preparation. But when he had finished that, he would come to collect his bride. And this is what's happening here. And the bridegroom, uh, no mistake here, um, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is represented all in, you know, Psalms and Song of Solomon and often the New Testament. Um, Revelations also actually in 19.7, it says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. See, in verse 2, it says, Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. And, and notice what we're going to get into in just a second. Um, it doesn't say that they didn't have what they needed. So the foolish ones aren't going to have extra oil for their lamps, and the wise are going to have extra. It didn't say that the foolish ones... They didn't have it, and so like they were destitute, and they didn't have this thing. They just chose not to bring it. Verse 3, it says, And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil for their lamps. Philippians uh, 2, verse 15, it says, That they may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We are called to be lights to the world. And let me explain this lamp a little bit, because um, not many of us you know, have oil lamps in our house that we use on a regular basis. Some do. Okay. Um, but... If, if you picture at least all that I've seen uh, when I've studied this text this week, it was, it was a um, kind of a clay pot that had an opening with a reservoir and it had a little spout on it. And there would be a wick that would go down into the oil. And, and what primarily burned was the oil, right? I'm not an expert here, so I'm a, I'm a little bit off. Just go with me. Um, but if you run out of oil, what happens is that wick will just burn and be gone real quick because it's the oil that's keeping the light Lit. And so they leave with some oil in their container and the wick and so the light and all that good stuff. They have some stuff, but they didn't bring extra. And the, the truth here and, and part of what this parable is trying to say is like in the delay, we need to maintain who we are in Christ. And there will be things that challenge this over and over again. There's other um, parables that Jesus uses in the gospel that talks about, hey, if you're going to go to war against another kingdom, you should probably size up your army against theirs. And if yours isn't big enough, then you should probably make a treaty with them. Or if you go to build something, you should take into account, do you have enough money to finish it? Because you don't want it half built. And then everybody would look at like, look at that guy. He's got a three-story, you know, that's supposed to be a six-story condominium or whatever you got to be prepared and the truth is um life is difficult started a book on uh suffering the other day um written by paul david tripp he actually has some kidney he had kidney failure um like four or five years ago um he's talking about this realm we all will suffer some of you are suffering right now some of you are in the middle of things and it is how we get to this place of trusting Jesus in the middle of it. It's the preparation for what will come because it will come. Things will change. Verse 5. says, And the bridegroom was delayed, and they became drowsy and slept. All of them. read one commentary on this point that kind of talked about the reality that, you know, we still live our lives they still sleep. It, it, you know, waiting for Jesus, having a full tank of oil, isn't standing on the mountaintop, staying awake forever, because we can't do that. Life happens. The normalcy of life, of falling asleep, happens. 
don't miss here, like I said earlier, that he told us that there would be a delay. And I'm sure they didn't think that that delay would still be going on. But the truth is that he hasn't forgotten about us. Verse 6, it said, At midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come to meet him. The time of preparation was over, the waiting is over, and the call has gone out. Verse 7, it says, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Got it ready so they could shine the brightest light because they want to prepare for the coming of the bridegroom. See, trimming the lamps, lamps of the first century were made of clay, like I said, with a reservoir of oil, and the wick was placed in the oil, and the oil was what was burnt. And without the oil, the wick would burn out quickly. And we talk about this a lot in Christian life and with Christian leaders of this idea of burnout. Um, and I believe most of it is imaged right here. If what's, and I wrote this at the end of my notes, what's, at the, what's in the lamp is what matters. Because all of us are putting things in the lamp. And some of us, we put our good works, we put our, our effort and our energy, and we're, we're burning off of things that weren't meant to be burnt. Just like the wick, the wick was meant to last. It wasn't the wick's job to keep the flame going. It was the oil's job. So what is the oil? And this is debatable, and you can read commentaries, um, and they're all over the place for what is the oil. Uh, this is, thus saith Heath, and I try to make that clear when I make <laughs> leaps into the unknown. Um, so take this with a grain of salt. But I believe um, that the oil described is a life of faith and trust in the completed work of Jesus on the cross and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the problem comes is, and, and when we lose our preparation, when we lose that reality, we'll go back in and out of going, I have to do this. Like, I, I have to be a good enough. Like, I have to do all the right things. I have to say all the right things. I have to check all the boxes so that God will love me, that God will receive me, that he'll be glad to welcome me into his house. And the truth is, it is faith alone. We rob our joy when we reduce the power and glory of his sacrifice. And saying that sacrifice wasn't enough, that we, we have to do extra, we have to do more. And so I believe that the oil is our faith, which it'll tie into what I'm going to go into next. It's our faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ and living in the power of the Holy Spirit that he gave us as a deposit. Romans 8, verse 11, said, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. And that whole section of Romans 8 is like, these things didn't work. We, we couldn't overcome sin. We couldn't fix this issue. But as we live by the Spirit... We have the capacity for life because that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And how often 
Are we not looking to that power to resolve the issues of our heart and what's going on inside of us? And we're looking to some external source or we're even looking inside of ourselves that we can fix this. I, I'm, I have a horrible issue with this. You've been around long enough, you know, like I, I, I just love to run ahead. I love to go, okay, God has equipped me. God has given me this power and I'm going to, I'm going to go and do these things. And every time when I live in my own power, in my own strength, in my own understanding, I fall flat on my face because I'm burning the wrong thing. Verse eight. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. See, there will be a point when we can no longer help those who have not trusted in Jesus. I said this a couple weeks ago. Our faith cannot save someone else. And I think this is what it's talking about here. They're trying to dip into this faith reservoir of someone else. But it doesn't work that way. My my children don't have a ticket to heaven because their father has been in ministry for 21 years. It is our individual decision that is then filled with faith that lets us light our lamp. We can't borrow faith from someone else to get us in. Which seems kind of cruel. You're like, oh my, my gosh, we talk about evangelizing all the time. Why wouldn't he just give him some oil. Why wouldn't the one virgin just give the other virgin some oil? Because then they could all get in. Well, you can't give something to someone else that they don't have. Because ours doesn't work for the other. Verse 9. It says, but the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us, uh, for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Which seems harsh. But if we look at it through the lens of faith and belief, we cannot give our belief to someone else. And this will be the case at some point. Right now, we need to evangelize like our life depends on it. I heard, I can't remember if it's Penn or Teller, who are not Christians. Uh, one of them, he, he made, you can find it on YouTube. But he was talking about Christians, which he belittles all the time. But there's a statement on there. He said, if you believe... That there is heaven and hell, and if Jesus did come, if he is a real person, he came and lived and died, and that's the only way in, it is the most unloving thing to do to not express that belief to someone else. This is an atheist telling people, basically shaming Christians, it, you know, why would we not? Well, we have to find joy in Jesus to share that joy with someone else. Verse 10. It says, while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Verse 11. Afterwards, the virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. This is the second time, at least the second time in my memory, that Jesus has the same encounter with people that said, Lord, Lord. We, and they threw out their list of things that they have done. And he was like, I don't know who you are. Listen to this out of John 10, verse 27. We've talked about this verse a lot. Uh, it says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. Because they're his sheep. 
and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And let me just OK, let me just let me just throw this out there. Um, we have lots of different theological perspectives, um, probably different even opinions in this room. Uh, I would never say that I have mastered all of the theological understanding and I'm always right. You'll never hear that from me. I have opinions, um, and, and here, here's my opinion, and I'll, I'll explain it as best I can. Uh, my opinion is that if you're a child of God, nothing will ever change that. Now, the clarifying statement of that is if you're a child. And what I think this text talks about is people that have the appearance of those waiting for the Messiah, those waiting for the return of the bridegroom, that they've put on the shell and they look like, because those, when there's ten of them out there, and before the light of the five went out, they all look like they were on the same place. The five weren't foolish, like non, at this point, they'd been all Jews. They wouldn't have been five Gentiles out there waiting for the bridegroom. These are all people that are waiting to celebrate with the bridegroom. And he actually, leading up to this, mocks, I think almost all of these, there's the understanding of the fig tree as he's coming out of Israel. He is mocking Israel. Because they were supposed to be the chosen ones waiting, but most of them were wicked, evil people. They had the appearance of godliness, but they were whitewashed tombs. So I believe that once you are a child of God, and this is the part where Paul says, you know, you work out your your salvation with fear and trembling. Because I don't get a list the day you say I do to Jesus, and then you can come to me later and say, am I on this list? I don't know. God does not tell me who's in and who's out. But the truth is, I believe, looking at texts like that, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Once you become a child of God, there's nothing. So some people may look at this parable and be like, oh, man, this was ten Christians and five of them made it into heaven, five didn't. I don't think that was the case. I think the five foolish were those who had the appearance of being connected to the family, but they weren't really in the family. Because I say this before, what this looks like doesn't matter. It only matters what ha- what's on the inside, which we cannot, there's no test for. The problem with a lot of modern Christianity is, is we'll give you things to do externally that make you look like you are a part of the team. And the scary part is that a lot of people are going to have the same conversation with God when he returns, either through their death or his appearance. And they're going to be like, but Lord, Lord, we... We served at Reach Community Church for years. Lord, we gave money to this ministry. Lord, we, we prayed. We, we did these things. And there are some people that are going to hear the words, I don't know who you are. See, having the appearance of a child of God is not the same as being his child. What matters is what's on the inside. And, and this is why... This is why it's important to live humbly and honestly. Because there's there's things, I'm just going to throw this in there. This is also an opinion of Heath. There's things that we throw into our reservoir that isn't oil. 
that's blocking our capacity to pour oil in there. See, sin controls us until we have a power greater than sin to free us from it, which is Jesus. And that is not a one-time work. It's a one-time work for justification to be made his child, but that process of becoming like him, being sanctified, is a lifelong process. I heard, I forget who wrote it now that I'm trying to pull it out of my memory, is like either you're fighting sin, either you're killing sin or sin is killing you. And so part of what I want to speak this morning and part of what... Um, I want you to hear and me to hear, and I was doing this, the beauty of uh, me knowing what I'm going to preach on, I get 30 minutes to prepare, or 25 minutes, however long our worship is, I have time to prepare over there like humbly, like God. But I want us to be people that don't just have the appearance of good Christians. I want children of God that are filled to the brim with extra oil waiting for the return. Verse 13. So what does he tell at the end of this? is the last verse. He said, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So what do we do? Basically what he's saying is stay ready. Basically, what he's saying is, is we should look internally. And, and part of the reasons I bring up some of this stuff and is not to put attention on people, not to confuse you about are you saved or are you not saved, which I think is an interesting um, conversation to be had. But are we a child of God or are we not a child of God? The point of this is I, I want us to have an honest conversation uh, with our Savior every Sunday. Why I push things in this area isn't to confuse you. It's to stir you so that you'll go, I want him. Because what um, the children of God will celebrate and look forward to his return. Because when he gets here, we're going to be excited that he's here. And so now is the season that we make sure that we are burning the right thing. Listen to this in Psalms 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. See, part of that whole illustration, and I love this verse, I say this all the time, and um, I think we want those, you know, I don't know, a million lumens light that shows us, you know, a mile down the road. Um, God promised that his word would be a lamp into our feet. And I don't know if you've gone outside with a, like, a wick and a lamp and that little light. There's not a whole lot of light, but you can definitely see what's around you. So being in the word, which is what we're talking about, why we're giving away one of your Bibles, why we're encouraging you to read the word, because it becomes the lamp. It becomes the litmus test that we over and over again put ourselves up against. So that we can go, what, God, what do you want to do with me so that I can reflect this as much as possible? Matthew 5, verse 14. Jesus is talking about light again. It says, you are the light of the word, world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. 
but on a stand, and it gives life, light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I love this part, and we talk about this a little bit, and I'm sure I've shared this at one point. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that you shine your light, because I think some of us as Christians, we shine our light so that we would get attention. Like we, we shine, look how good I am. And in this verse specific says that we shine our light so that others may see our good works and give glory to your father in heaven. See, the danger, I think, for me and for you is that we would do the things of God so that others would admire us. And I've told y'all, y'all know one of my love languages is words of affirmation, which I never say that in a sermon so that you'll, I have sometimes people come up after and be like, great sermon. <laughs> like, that's not what, I, I'm not, I'm not putting it out there, but that's a danger because then we'll do things so that God would just see this in me. So I'm going to invite our worship team back up and we're going to close with a song, but I, I've got a kind of a statement here. Well, two. One is kind of a caution. Is to stop playing around and be filled. Being in this building doesn't save you. Being a member of this church doesn't save you. Getting baptized in our beautiful baptismal that we have here doesn't save you. Putting your offering in that beautiful toolbox we have in the back doesn't save you. But they can give you the appearance of things that do. And so my, my call today as we go back into worship is that if, if there are things in your life that you're hiding from people, or if there are things in your life that are keeping you trapped, confess them. All revival starts with a repentant heart. And if we want to change our city... We've got to be people that are willing to confess our sin. And it all starts with us being willing to just have an honest conversation with the Father. And sometimes that conversation needs to extend into other people because we need a community around us as we battle and fight the things. I don't want any more for us to pretend. I, I want us, when the, when the cry goes out, I want celebration, not fear. See, there was no judgment from the person who looked at the other one. They didn't belittle them like, you idiot, why didn't you bring your own? There was grace, there was mercy, there was instruction, hey, go do this. At some point, we will have no more option. And, and Jesus is worthy of our sacrifice. See, every one of us in this room have horribly missed the mark. Everyone. None of us have the capacity. The law never set anyone free. There was no, there was no, it didn't work before. And, and finally Jesus shows up and we have freedom. Let's not sit here and, and wonder anymore. Jesus 
has the capacity to set us free. And my call to you this morning as we go into our last song is that if there's something that is blocking that freedom, we spoke this verse last week, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If there's something blocking that freedom, then confess it. Jesus offers freedom for you right now in this room to anyone willing to humble themselves. See, the Pharisees, when he entered into uh, the worship center, he beat his chest. Or he didn't beat his chest, sorry. It was the tax collector that beat his chest. The Pharisees stood there and said, look, I'm so glad that you didn't make me like these people. And he said some real pious prayers and This humble man beat his chest and he said, oh, how unworthy I am. Have grace on me. He said, who who walked out? Forgiven. Who walked out? Redeemed. Have a conversation. Let's pray. Jesus, I want more of the freedom and every piece of my life would you bring it to your light and Lord I pray that over every single person of this room Lord I pray that even now where the Holy Spirit is speaking to those in this room about this trap this thing that they are in prison to that manacled to Lord I pray that you would whisper in their ear there is freedom in me there is redemption in him So every place that we are leading outside of your glory and your grace, Lord, draw us in. Break our hearts. Break down the pride or the fear of what people would think if, if we were really honest. Lord, you pour that oil of faith in us. So, Lord, our light would be bright, not because of our work or not because of our effort, but by your grace and your mercy and your finished work on the cross. Thank you for being the perfect sacrifice that finally set us free. Let us trust in you pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.